I think gratitude is, it's like compound interest. You know, it's sort of the more you have, <laughs> the more you have. And I, and I, and I feel just like misery is contagious where if you're around people who are unhappy, you're going to be unhappy. You know, they say that if, if your best friend is obese, you're 50% more likely to be obese. But if you're, if your best friends, friends are obese, even if you're not, even if that friend isn't obese, you still have like a 10 or 20% chance to become obese because it's just, it's, it's bad habits unhappiness, misery, um, you know, just, uh, uh, choices that are, that are, that create self-harm. All of these things are contagious, but I feel like joy and gratitude and love and, and, and optimism and idealism are also contagious. And I think the more you spend time with that, the more it becomes the person who you are becomes a sort of muscle memory for you. Welcome to the Gratitude Podcast on www.georgeandbenta.com, where you'll hear a new story each week that will inspire more gratitude in your own life. Our mission is to inspire 100,000 people to discover how to feel gratitude and live a happy life through the amazing life stories of our successful guests and their actionable tips. And now, the host of our podcast, George and Benta. Hi, Gratitude Seeker. Welcome to a new episode of the Gratitude Podcast. Today with us, we have Laura Gessner-Oting. She is an author and a professional speaker. She helps people get unstuck in their thinking to break through the barriers of confusion to achieve amazing results. Over the course of her 20-year career studying, recruiting, and stewarding leaders through massive career change, Laura has witnessed that true success comes from finding your consonants. To be honest, I'm not very clear on what that means, but <laughs> we will surely find out. Laura, welcome to the Gratitude Podcast. Hey, it is so great to be here today with you. My pleasure, my pleasure. So firstly, let us know a little bit about consonants. What does that mean? Sure. So consonants is, uh, it's an unusual word, but once I explain it to people, they're like, oh yeah, I know that word. Um, it's the opposite of dissonance. Um, we hear dissonance oh. a lot. We hear, you know, noise and conflict and, 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 um, and, and tension, but consonants is harmony. It's alignment, it's flow. And it's helped me become very uh, uh, articulate and uh, good with my enunciation, because if I don't, it sounds like continence, <laughs> <laughs> which is really the opposite. <laughs> so, so consonants. So I spent 20 years doing executive search, and that means that I would work with individuals at the top of their game who were super successful in their careers, and I would help them to find new positions. I'd be hired by organizations in the nonprofit NGO space um, and retained by them to go out and find them their next leader, their next chief executive officer or chief operating officer or chief strategy officer or board members. And, and so I spent 20 years interviewing people who were incredibly successful. And I was struck by the, by, by, by what I started to see, which was that even though they were all successful, they weren't all necessarily happy. And Mm. I thought, isn't it interesting that success doesn't always mean happiness, right? We're sent on this on this quest as young people to succeed. And we're told, I'll be happy when, right? I'll be happy when I'm successful. And I started noticing about five years into this career of search that success didn't always equal happiness. And then I looked at myself and I thought, well, I'm 
pretty successful right now. Am I happy? And I realized that I wasn't really that happy either. And so I started my own firm and I spent the next 15 years doing search in a way that made sense for me, that was successful for me, that allowed me to do the work that helped me to find my calling, to help save the world through this lever of talent that I knew. It allowed me to connect to the my daily work to that calling so that all of the work I did felt like it really mattered. It allowed me to have contribution where I could live my values, I could manifest my values every day, but in a business that I created, which threw off the kind of profit that allowed me to live the lifestyle that I wanted. And then it also, as an entrepreneur, gave the amount of control that I needed over how much of that work I did for what clients and when, and how much of the money that I made and how much of the flexibility I could have so that I had the amount of connection and contribution to be able to serve my calling. And when I had that rubric for me personally of calling connection, contribution and control in a way that made sense for me, then I was in consonance. And for everybody at every age and at every life stage, your personal rubric of consonance will be personal to you. And here's the good news. There's no wrong answers. The only definition of success that matters will be yours. Exactly. Exactly. I've I've come to this conclusion as well in, in my experience. And it's so interesting that um we can look successful but not feel successful or not actually feel happy even though we are at at that point and uh, people may actually look up to us in, in that situation and we might not be uh, actually happy and that's so so interesting and it exactly when when I'm thinking about that image I'm actually thinking of uh, dissonance, like you were saying, like the fact that you they they should be happy somehow, but they're not. These kinds of people, and it, this creates indeed a, a dissonance, and it's something like, hmm, why? Like, what's happening there? What's what's not there uh, and, in and the it- mix? Yeah, and it makes us think, well, you know, if I've if I've filled in all the boxes, all the right boxes, I filled in all the check boxes along the path to success, why do I feel empty? Why do I feel like there's something missing? The boxes are all full. <laughs> what what's missing? And I think that it comes down to this idea that we're told very early on in our lives what success should look like, what we need to do, what we should do, what we must do. And so we have this this path and we have this one monolithic one myopic one unflinching definition of success which is the fastest and highest uh path to get to the the corner office and in fact that's not going to be the right path for all of us and in fact it's probably not the right path for most of us and 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 all that we get when we get there is the thing that somebody else wanted, right? We've now filled in all the check boxes along someone else's path to someone else's success. And then when we get there and it doesn't feel right, we think, well, if it's right for everyone else and this was supposed to be the right thing, then I must be wrong. There must be something wrong with me. And that's when I think we lose gratitude, right? Because we get yeah. to this place where we we look around and we should be happy, but we're complaining. And it's not because we don't have gratitude in life. We just don't have gratitude for someone else's life because it's not the <laughs> life we wanted. It's not the life that works for us that's so true that's so true and uh, it's it's so interesting how a few changes and also a few changes in perspective um, how, how that can make a huge difference like um, I'm guessing you know about 
uh, Gary V. He says that uh, he says that something like you could be happier uh, earning sixty thousand dollars per per year, and uh, the fact that you're earning much more doesn't actually uh, equal happiness unless you actually like what you're doing and you're actually happy doing the work. So that's that's an important part and uh, something that's that's really interesting that we don't think about too yeah, often. It, it is it is so true. I you know there are studies that show that after a certain amount of money, more money doesn't make you happier, right? Yeah. I mean there's there's the amount of money that you need, right? And then there's the amount of money that you want. And those numbers, whenever I give career advice to people, I always ask them to think about those two numbers. How much do you need to make? And how much do you want to make? And those numbers should be very different, right? The need to make number is your, it's your, it's your, those, that's table stakes. You need to be able to pay your rent. You need to be able to put food on the table. You know, you need to be able to support your family, but how much money do you want is a completely different question. And the answer shouldn't be all of it, right? <laughs> the answer should be enough. So when I started my firm, um, I, 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 I was working at a big traditional firm, you know, sort of the best and the brightest, the, the big marquee name. And I was making money. I was um, working with the best in class organizations. I was working with some of the smartest people, but I didn't feel like the work I did mattered. I felt I felt mm -hmm. unhappy. Um, I was, as I mentioned, it was all nonprofit NGO work, and I wanted to get into that work because I wanted to help change the world. I had just left a stint in Bill Clinton's White House, um, creating AmeriCorps, which is the United States uh, uh, National Service Program, and I was, you know, up to my eyeballs in idealism and ramen soup because it was all I could afford <laughs> at the time. And I was 25 years old, and I knew that I wanted to do something. I wanted to continue on this quest to change the world. But I, I didn't have really that many specific skills, and I, uh, but I had a Rolodex that could choke a horse. So um, <laughs> what do you do? You go into executive search. And so there I was sitting on one side of the table, talking to a client, sitting on the other side of the table. And in my mind, we were both on the same side of the table. We were curing cancer. We were fighting for LGBTQ rights. We were um, creating education access. We were saving the environment. We were doing good things. But in their mind, I was on one side of the table, they were on the other, and the firm's uh, profit and loss statement was sitting in between us. And what I realized was that I actually had two masters. I needed to help my client do the thing that they needed to do so that they could save the world. But I also needed to keep my bosses happy and I needed to maximize profitability on the project. And once I realized that my the master that mattered the most was the one who was paying my paycheck, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't be in this place where I was not fulfilling my calling in a way that felt true to my own values. And so that's when I started my own firm because you know once you once you figure out the problem and once you notice the solution and you realize that you actually are not part of the solution, which means you're part of the problem, you can't you can't keep doing it. And I and 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 I um, had this uh, I, this moment of rage where I just decided I could do it better and faster and with more authenticity and more integrity and with more profit than I could at this big firm. But then it became a question of well, how much profit was enough profit? Could I maximize profitability and 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 bilk my clients for every single dollar I could I could get from them, or could I set up a company that had much less overhead because it was a virtual 
firm and I, I ran it out of my living room versus a big brick and mortar office downtown, could I maximize impact rather than maximizing profitability and still make more money than I did at the big firm, but make enough money so that I could live the life I wanted. And that's when I had to think about, well, how much money is enough for me? And, you know, I had to come to terms with the fact that I love to travel all over the world. I'm never as happy as when I have a, a an airline ticket in one hand and a passport in the other. But in order <laughs> to travel, you know, you need money, right? So I wanted to save the world because I care, but I wanted to travel the world because I, I, I have a fatal cause of, 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 I have a fatal disease of, of wanderlust, right? Like I just want to see the world. So, so for me, the question of how much money was enough was, well, what, what does that money mean to me? And what kind of lifestyle do I want to have? And how do I manifest my values into the world while having that lifestyle? And that's where I decided what I wanted the work, how I wanted the work to contribute to my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's actually how you, how you made it happen, for you to for you to feel like uh, uh, your life is successful, is uh, a life of happiness. But I'm really curious, what's your experience with gratitude? Like, uh, what do you feel gratitude is for you? Like, how do you define it? So for me, gratitude is the ability to be present with whomever or whatever I'm doing. Um, cause I think that the, the greatest way that you can express gratitude is by fully showing up for people or for the causes that you care about. And, you know, I have, um, I have a beautiful metal and glass box that I had made uh, that sits in my office where I, I keep all of the handwritten thank you notes that people send me. I think that <laughs> if somebody is going to go through the effort of of actually picking out stationery and writing a message and mailing it, putting it, you know, sending it to you, I actually have a beautiful box where I keep these beautiful sentiments. And I hope one day when I'm dead that my family looks through this box and says, people's lives were better because Laura was part of it in mm. some small way. And I believe that's a beautiful expression of gratitude. But what can I do on a daily basis to have gratitude, to feel gratitude, to develop the muscle memory of gratitude, to live in a space of gratitude? It's really thinking about what and who matters to me most and showing up so completely and 100% present for them and for those things that I, I think that's the biggest gift that I can give. Hmm, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And when when I'm thinking about uh, what you are what you are saying, the fact that gratitude is being fully present, 100% present, it it's so true because when we are in the experience and we are present, we actually get to experience all of it, and we don't rush. We don't think about what's next or what happened. We are there, and uh, then that's that's so powerful. Yeah, I um, I I travel about 150,000 miles a year for work Whoa. and for pleasure. Yeah, I'm I am on an airplane almost every week, uh, and 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 as I said already, I'm never as happy as when I have an airplane ticket in one <laughs> hand and a and a passport in the other. I I I want to visit every country. I want to like you know I I was asked to to. Uh, 
to speak in Switzerland in March and it's in the western part of Switzerland or sorry the eastern part of Switzerland I thought oh you know what's near there is Liechtenstein and I haven't been to Liechtenstein yet so <laughs> I accepted the speaking engagement because I know I could like get to another country um I love this uh, this is what I love um but but I have you ever been in a long distance relationship where the the, the person you want to spend time with a family member a loved one is somewhere else yeah yeah. So we hate long distance relationships, right? We think they're terrible because if you're, if you, if you are alone Monday through Friday, and then you might see the person you love on Saturday and Sunday, it puts a huge amount of pressure on making Saturday and Sunday perfect. And it usually ends up breaking relationships because there is so much pressure to have that time be perfect. And, and then I, a couple of weeks ago, I started thinking, well, if I'm traveling 150,000 miles a year, all of my relationships are long distance because I'm gone for three days, I'm home for two. I'm gone for one day, I'm home for two. I'm gone for two days, I'm home for three. I'm not really here all the time in this in this way that I'm present. So even though I live in the same house as my husband and my two teenage uh, sons, I still have a long distance relationship with them. And I began to think, well, when I was younger and my husband and I were first dating and we were long distance, it was terrible. But we spent a lot of time thinking, if I have two days to spend with this person each week, how do I want to spend them? How do I want to be there? What do we want to do? And we would make special plans and we would, you know, put our work away and we'd make sure that we were available for each other. And I came to a realization a few weeks ago that every one of my relationships, whether it's with my husband or my kids or my clients or my friends or even myself, is a long distance relationship. And so I'm mm. sort of got this bee in my bonnet right now about doubling down on this idea that if all of our relationships are long distance, especially because we're all moving so fast in this 24 seven world, how do we make sure that when we are with each other, we really are with each other. And so for me, my expression of gratitude about the life that I get to live as an author and as a speaker is to, is to express my presence and to have that gratitude so that I, I really do feel those experiences and I really am there for people. Wow. This is this is really good because once we actually get this and we appreciate instead of quantity, the quality of the time that we spend with, with the people we love, um, this can, can really make a difference. Instead and of, I think it... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it gives them an opportunity to also show up for you as well. And so, you know, I think, I think gratitude is, it's like compound interest, you know, it's sort of the more you have, <laughs> the more you have. And I, and I, and I feel just like misery is contagious where if you're around people who are unhappy, you're going to be unhappy. You know, they say that if, if your best friend is obese, you're 50% more likely to be obese. But if your if your best friends, friends are obese, even if you're not, even if that friend isn't obese, you still have like a 10 or 20% chance to become obese because it's just, it's, it's bad habits, unhappiness, misery, um, you know, just, uh, uh, choices that are, that are, that create self-harm. All of these things are contagious, but I feel like joy and gratitude and love and, and, and optimism and idealism are also contagious. And I think the more you spend time with that, the more it becomes the person who you are becomes a sort of muscle memory for you. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's, I really believe this and uh, it's one of the reasons why uh, the Gratitude Podcast actually exists because I think it can have a really big difference yeah, it can make a, a really big difference in people's lives and in people's families. And um, 
as we usually talk about <laughs> things that aren't aren't working too well, we could start talking more about what we appreciate and spread it. And I think that's that's an important part of um, make in our making uh, our part, our contribution in uh, into making a, the world a better place. Um, but I'm I'm really curious if you've always been like this like if you always uh felt this grateful and lived with with gratitude has has there been a a moment in time when you got to be you uh you got to this stage you got to be more um present and uh more appreciative of life did something happen uh well i mean so i just turned 48 so i'm i'm smack in the middle of middle age (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, I think that there is something that happens uh, in your 40s as you approach 50, where you start, in a way, in a way, uh, time, it speeds up because there is so much that's happening in your life there, your world becomes so big, but you also have these moments where it slows down a lot. And I have, I have, I have recently been, um, I've recently been hosting a lot of dinners at, at my house. The last few years, we, we have what we call our family and our family is that combination of friends and family that become your grown up family. So if your family lives far away, or maybe you don't have a great relationship with them, or even if you do, um, you still have this combination of the friends that you make as a fully formed adult. Uh, that that really sort of know who you are and what you want to be. And we started doing these Sunday night dinners where at any on any given Sunday night, just random people show up at our house. And I mean, they're people we know, but they're just they they <laughs> they know that we're always going to be cooking for like 20. And wow. and the rules are very simple. You know, you sort of you 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 show up anytime after five, you you leave whenever your kid has a meltdown because it could be your kid, it could be my kid. <laughs> or you see any help with dishes or whatever. Um, but we we sort of bring people around the table and 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 I have over the last few years, there's been a moment during each of these meals, and it may just be because my husband makes very good cocktails, but there's been a moment <laughs> around each of these meals where I sort of like stop and I I I almost have like an out-of-body experience where I I see the whole table. Um, and I see people talking to each other who don't normally know each other, who don't, um, who aren't, don't get a chance to see each other that much. And they're laughing and, you know, the lighting is warm and the room is glowing. And, and I just have this moment where I get to see people connecting and, and I feel like that's such a gift. And I, I think for me, the more of that I have um, the more I, I seek it out, but I didn't always, I didn't always feel this way. I mean, growing up, I was a, I was a pretty insecure kid. Um, and, um, I always felt like everyone else had it all figured out, you know, everyone else mm-hmm, knew yeah. everything. They, they, people like they knew what to wear, they knew what to say. They just, they were somehow always cooler and somehow never worked that hard to be cool. And, and I definitely was not at all. <laughs> I mean, I went to computer sleepaway camp. I was, I was really <laughs> not cool whatsoever. And so what I did is I developed this really hard shell, a, like a sarcasm, a snark, um, which, you know, I love, I love being sarcastic and snarky, but <laughs> it, it, it almost became like a defensive mechanism. And what, what came from that is I started developing um, relationships, very few, but very deep relationships where it was sort of like your ride or die kind of relationship. You know, you were yeah. all for this person and those were great. 
until the person disappointed me or let me down or screwed me over or, you know, just, just dropped me for, you know, a new boyfriend or, you know, whatever the case may be. (laughs) And, 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 and that became difficult. I, I had this sort of hard time. People are sort of in or out. Like you were either all in in my life or you were out because I didn't understand how to be vulnerable. And then as you get older, you start to realize that I, there's a great quote by Eleanor Roosevelt who, who uh, says that uh, you wouldn't worry so much about what other people thought of you if you realized how little they did. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's, there's a moment when you get older that you think, oh, I think that everybody is so busy looking at me and I'm under the hot spotlight and I'm so nervous. But the truth is, they're all so busy worrying that everyone's looking at them that they're actually not paying that much attention to me. And I think at a certain point you realize it's not about you anymore. It's not all about you. And I think being able to, 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 to turn your antenna from being focused inward and what everyone thinks about you to what you can do and the gifts you can bring in the world, I think, um, make a huge impact. The, 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 there was a, a moment uh, where I think this became really crystal clear for me. Um, I think I had been doing it for about 10 years, but there was a moment where I realized it. And I had I had been giving some career advice to a young woman who I knew who was having a, a, a really tough time uh, in an office where the person who she wanted to work for, who she really idolized, uh, had let her down, had been almost an abusive boss. And there was a pretty toxic relationship in the in the office. And And she was telling me her tale of woe. And after about 20 minutes, I said, you know, you're great. And she said, what are you talking about? I just complained to you for 20 minutes. And I said, yeah, but you're great. And she said, no, but I'm, I've just told you all these terrible things. And I've been whining and whinging for 20 minutes. I said, no, but you're great. So go be great. Just go be the great person who you are. And don't let all the nonsense and the bull and the, 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 the noise and the, 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 you know, the, all of the social drama, don't let it get you down. Go be great. And she was like, oh, you're right. I can just go be great. And about a month later, I went to an event where she got up and, um, and, and gave the opening uh, keynote. And she actually referred to the story. And I had forgotten that I'd even given her that advice. <laughs> but it, was, it stuck with her in this way where it, was, it really changed her. And I, and I, and I realized in that moment, even the, like, the throwaway conversations, the throwaway lines, the, the, the advice that I give off the cuff, it's meaningful to people and, it, and, and they take it to heart. And, and that I have not just a responsibility, but I have a privilege in my life. I am, I am in this place where I, I am so blessed to be able to be somebody that, some, that people turn to and give them advice. And it really made me, um, it really made me feel grateful that I had created um, somewhat consciously and somewhat unconsciously this, the, or subconsciously this, this, this world where I, I have the ability to influence and change and affect people and give back in the ways that all I'm doing was just telling stories and giving advice that was given to me. Hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, uh, I think it's, it's wonderful how, how you evolved in time and how, you got to to appreciate who you are and what your gifts are instead of just thinking that other people are um, thinking of about you or judging or criticizing one way or another 
And I think this is very powerful. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I always thought that I had to be a superhero. I always thought that I had to be great. And what I realized was that my superpower was in fact not being great, but was seeing the greatness in others in a way that they could see it and believe it and actually act on it. And mm. that's how I get people unstuck, right? I look at them and I see the thing that is inside of them that they maybe believe is there, maybe don't even know is there. But when I think there is something about somebody seeing you and saying, look, I see you, I believe in you, I know you can do this, and I'm here to help that it 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 creates wind in people's sails. And so I for me, the turning point was realizing that it didn't need to be me. I needed to facilitate that in others. Hmm. I think this this has actually this has gratitude at the at its core. Like the yes. fact the fact that you you can appreciate people and you can see the good things in people. Um I I think most probably it's already a habit somehow that you just see these things and you appreciate them. And it's so beautiful that basically you've created a career out of this, out of the fact that you appreciate other people's gifts, right? I, I, I didn't mean to, and yet here I am. And I think, <laughs> you know, I, I, and I think for me, it, it, I, I had two exceptional mentors in my life. Um, my first book uh, is dedicated to the first and my second book will be dedicated to the second. Um, <laughs> but the first was a, a man by the name of Eli Siegel. Uh, and Eli was uh, a businessman. He was a lawyer by training. He was a businessman um, by profession, but in his avocation spent a lot of time in democratic politics, in the United States and ran lots of people's campaigns who were uh, running for president all of whom lost, except for Bill Clinton. And he used to tell a great story about how um, Bill Clinton called him up one day and said, I want you to run my presidential uh, my presidential campaign. And he said, well, sure. I mean, you remember, and then he started naming, you know, all the presidents, <laughs> President McGovern and President, all the people who, President Hart, President, all the people whose campaigns he won who actually never became president. He sort of said it <laughs> in, in a joking way. And, um, and, and, and he always had... This this incredible humility, um, but he had this joy and love of life also. And this is a man who, when Bill Clinton was, uh, when he was elected, he could have had any job in the world. He um, could have been, you know, the ambassador to France. He could have been the ambassador to Romania, where you are. He could have been, you know, he could have had any wonderful, cushy job. And yet he said, I want to help create this program for national service that allows college students and young people 18 to 24 years old uh, to serve their communities in exchange for college tuition. And, mm. um, and, and, and I had fallen in love with Bill Clinton on the campaign trail because he talked about this idea of community service in exchange for, for, for college tuition. And I thought, oh my God, that, that just needs to happen. So I ended up in the White House office that created this program and Eli became very much a, a, a mentor in my life. And what was amazing about Eli was that, you know, this office, you know, the White House, as you might imagine, is filled with lots of people who believe that their opinion is fiat, right? That their opinion yeah. is the, the, the most important opinion in the world. And so we would have meetings and all of the grownups would talk. And then Eli would turn to people like me, who at the time was 21 years old and say, well, Laura, what do you think? 
Wow. Right. He would turn to, there were about 10 other, you know, people in the office that were, you know, 21, 24, 26 years old. And he would turn to us and he would say, well, what do all of you think? This is a program for young people. What do you think? And he, I, I, I watched him as a leader, not be the person who was out front and in the spotlight all the time, but the one who saw his job as being on the sidelines and facilitating others to, to, to come up with the very best ideas and to be the best version of themselves. And so I think that was, you know, my first formative experience. And then my second was the man who ran this search firm that I, that I talked about the first one that I went to, a man by the name of Arnie Miller and Arnie and Eli had been best friends for years. They sort of made an arranged marriage for me to go from working for one to the other. And, and Arnie was the guy who placed really so many of the first of in so many organizations that are is so important to, to weaving the civic infrastructure of both the United States and, and the world. He put, you know, the first LGBTQ person as the head of the American Civil Liberties Union. He, he um, uh, put the first African-American, the first woman, the first this, you name it. Like he was so um, out front before his time in, in, in civil rights and, uh, and, and opportunity. And I would watch him interview people. And it was a, it was, it was, it was masterful. He would never start an interview by asking people what they'd accomplished, but he would ask them to tell them about a mother, a father, a teacher, a person of faith, a coach, a friend, somebody who had some impact on where they were today, what they were doing. He would ask them to tell, ask, tell them about traits that they got from people that they know and that they love and that they watched. And he would ask them to talk about those moments in their life when everything changed, whether it was a diagnosis or an opportunity or a, a, a world tragedy or something that put them on the path that they were on. And so I would watch him get these stories out of people that they didn't normally tell and you would end up seeing what was at the root of where they are. And a lot of times it was gratitude for whether whether it was a great experience or a terrible circumstance, but you would see that that was so formative to who they were. So these two models of sort of seeing people and approaching the world really became in my early 20s, exceptionally formative to me. Wow, you actually anticipated the question that that I was going to ask you. Um, who in your life you you're grateful for that the people that have had an impact in your life and 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 I think this is wonderful that uh, you speak so highly of of these two people and uh, I think it's amazing how you speak about them and I think that's actually uh, gratitude into practice and and seeing the fact that they had such a big impact in your life and you've managed to do many things on on your own somehow and that you that you appreciate the people that uh, were there for you and that helped you get to where you are that's 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 really amazing yeah i i'm i'm i am exceptionally lucky you know i mean i had i had parents that were that were supportive of me dropping out of law school and and jumping on this campaign trail for them for this unknown guy from this tiny southern state i mean i've i've had i've been very lucky along the way i have an enormous amount of privilege um but i also i think that um just on the subject of mentors i think we I think I've been lucky to have these two who have who were in my life for years. Um, I've also had incredible mentoring from people who were not, I wouldn't consider my mentors, but who were there in very specific moments in individual conversations who gave me mentoring moments. And so, you know, I a lot I get a, a questions from a lot of 
people about, you know, how do you go about and find a mentor? And I, 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 my response is always, well, finding a mentor is great, but finding mentoring is even better. So even if it's just a conversation that people can get mentoring from listening to this podcast, right? There's any, it could be reading books. It could be watching a talk. It's, 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 it can be individual moments. And so I think I have so many individual moments where I could look back and say, that was a conversation that taught me something that I didn't even realize it taught me something until 15 years later, when all of a sudden I made a decision and I realized that the framework in the decision-making was based on that conversation from so long ago. Hmm. That's amazing. It's, it's so true actually, because a perspective like gratitude gives us can really change our life, how we see it, how we uh, actually get to experience it. And it's so true, like talking with someone or listening to a conversation can have a really big impact. Of course, we have to be ready as well and to be open and to do something with that. And you were that kind of person. But uh, let us know a little bit more about uh, your upcoming book, Limitless. Yeah, so the book is based on this idea of these 20 years of interviewing people and thinking, well, if success doesn't equal happiness, what does? And so the book walks the reader through the idea that, first of all, we've gotten success wrong because we've wrapped it up in in, in these ideas of work-life balance or following your passion um, or other such um, insidious tropes that are found by, you know, flaxen-haired flower crown beach wave women looking out over Coachella. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, as meme worthy as those, uh, as those ideas are, they are not the goal, right? They are, um, they are, they are, uh, they are incomplete and they don't give a path to get there. And so we fall back on what we've been told by parents or teachers or, or sometimes mentors about what success should look like. And it's usually what success has looked like for them. Success will look like something completely different for us. And so, uh, you know, whether it's saying lean in doesn't work or whether it's saying follow your passion is the world's worst advice or that work-life balance is ephemeral and um, at best or that, you know, action doesn't necessarily equal impact and don't get so convinced about the action, but focus on the impact that you want to make. The first thing I do in the book is is I relieve people of the idea that they have to follow someone else's path to success. That's the how to ignore everybody part of the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I, you know, the, I, I, I do think that there are people you should listen to. Um, those are people who are giving you positive advice and, and, and helping to, to, you know, the mentoring and helping to sort of build the life that you want to have. But I, I, I want people to ignore all of the people that are defining success as, you know, buying a, you know, a a fancy car and a beach house or only the corner office or only, you know, jobs that, you know, serve the, 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 the bigger world, or, you know, the only person who gets a vote in what purpose should be in your life is you. And I want people to, to stop giving votes to people who shouldn't even have voices in their lives. So that's (laughs) the first part. The second part then unpacks this idea of consonants, saying that there are four things that make up your consonants that I, I referred to earlier, your calling, the connection, the contribution, and the control. Um, and everybody at every age and at every life stage is going to want and need these things differently. So when I was 21 years old working on that political campaign, I had all the calling in the world. I was so absolutely enamored with the idealism and you know the change the world ethos of the campaign. I had no connection to the work at all. I mean, I was 
fetching coffee. I was a gopher. I was a peon. Um, so I had zero, like the work I did on a daily basis didn't really matter. If I called in sick, nobody would notice. But <laughs> I had a ton of connection because I was manifesting my values every single day. And while I wasn't really making any money and it wasn't contributing that way, I was also 21. So I didn't care about living in an apartment with 12 other people. It didn't matter to me. But I knew that if he won, wow, that could be an interesting career trajectory, right? So yeah. there's a lot of contribution there. And then in terms of control, I had zero control whatsoever about whether or not I'd be sent to Michigan or Minnesota or, or, or Georgia or wherever for the next assignment. But it didn't matter because what I cared about at that point in my life was I wanted, I wanted calling and I wanted the, the contribution. Now in my late 40s, I still want to make the world a better place. And I know that I, I have sort of a general rubric about, about the kinds of clients that I want to have, but I have, I have older parents and I have young kids and I sit on several uh, nonprofit boards and I'm pretty busy. So my work has to matter. The work I'm doing has to connect every single day to that calling of making the world a better place through, you know, getting this book out into the world. In terms of my contribution, I absolutely need to manifest my values because I've got kids that are looking at me and watching me and emulating mm -hmm. my life through that. But I also need that work to contribute to a flexibility that I want to have because, you know, my kids are teenagers and teenagers don't need their mom every day. But boy, when they need her, they need her. Right. So I also <laughs> need to have flexibility to be around in that way. And then in terms of control, I am a control freak of the highest order. I learned this when I became an <laughs> entrepreneur. I absolutely want to 100% have control over which stages I'm speaking from, what outlets are selling my book, which podcasts I appear on, you know, who is the carrier of my message. And I want to make sure that, um, that, that I am able to decide how much flexibility I have, what values I'm manifesting, how much money I'm making by setting my own fees so that I have the amount of connection and calling that I want towards getting to or sorry, connection and contribution that I want towards getting to that calling. When I'm in my 60s, it may be a completely different rubric, but for me, that's mine. And so the second part of the book talks about how to create your own person, how to understand what your rubric of calling, connection, contribution, and control are. And then finally, the third part of the book talks about, well, now that you know what you're missing or what you want to have more of, here's what you need to do to either change your career, change your workplace, or change yourself to get there. That's awesome. That's awesome. That sounds really good. And uh, where can our audience find uh, your book? I'm yes. guessing on Amazon. Yes, uh, the book is on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. Um, uh, if your audience is listening and they're thinking, hmm, I don't know how much of calling, connection, contribution, and control I want, they can go to limitlessassessment.com. Um, and I'll say that again, limitlessassessment.com. And they can take a about a 10 to 15 minute quiz. It's got about 60 questions on it. And at the end of which they'll get a beautiful radar chart, which will show them one, their compulsion, how much connection, contribution, uh, um, calling and control they want in their life. And then a second one, which hopefully overlays somewhat, which is their, which is their quotient, how much of each of the four they currently have. And they'll be able to see where these, where, where the two radar charts are uh, overlapping and where they are not. And that will show them where they're not in consonance. And it will give um, them some tips about things that they can, actionable steps they can do today to get there. So they can go to limitlessassessment.com and take that quiz. And then they can also find me on all the socials at hey, like H-E-Y, hey, 
Hey LGO. <laughs> um, so all the socials, Hey LGO, and then at HeyLGO.com, we'll get them to my website. And of course, the book, as you mentioned, is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> amazing, amazing. That sounds like a lot of fun. So thank you so much for being here with us, for being so present and uh, so generous in your in sharing your teachings and uh, your experiences. It, it has been a real, real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am grateful for the opportunity. My pleasure. If you want to support my work, the Gratitude Podcast, I would really appreciate it. As counterintuitive as it may sound, one of the best ways in which you can receive more is by giving some away. When you give away even a small amount, this tells your brain that you have plenty, enough even to give to others. I found an easy way for you to become a sponsor, a supporter of the podcast. Just click on the link in the description and you can choose one of the three options. You can donate 10, 5 or $1 per month. That would be $1 per month for you, but for me, that would mean the world. So please take your time now, visit the link in the description or go to georgianbenta.com support and become a supporter of the Gratitude Podcast.